hello and welcome to Monster Seeking Meeple, uh, the horror board game podcast. My name is Colton. And my name is Tyler. And today we'll be discussing Bloodborne the card game released in 2016 and the ex subsequent expansion, The Hunter's Nightmare, released in 2018. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and get into it. La, la, la. Okay. So, Bloodborne the Card Game was designed by Eric M. Lang, and the subsequent expansion, The Hunter's Nightmare, was also designed by Eric Lang and Christopher Chung. Both of these games, the base game and the expansion, were published by Simon, uh, most notable for Ethnos and the others. And it's based on the From Software game Bloodborne, currently has a 7 out of 10 for the base game and an 8 out of 10 for the expansion on Board Game Geek. And it plays three to five players and lasts about 30 to 60 minutes. Uh, so that's just kind of a brief description about the game itself. Now, getting into what this game is and what it's kind of relating to, it is trying its best to try to be a, I wouldn't say a copy, but, you know, try to play homage to the Bloodborne game base game itself uh, with the challenge dungeons. So with Bloodborne, the video game on PlayStation that's exclusive to PSN, you're just playing as a, I wouldn't say survivor, but like a, a last sane human being almost in uh, Yarnum. And essentially, this is just a world that's been overcome by disease, strangeness, <laughs> overall, that's it's just affecting the whole world. And it's causing people to either go crazy or it's causing them to just become bloodthirsty. Essentially, you know, you start the game out as a hunter trying to join the hunt of other individuals who had done that prior. But as you quickly learn, uh, they were not successful and they have become inflicted with this madness as well uh, to where they try to kill you essentially you're just playing through this game going area to area defeating regular monsters and eventually boss monsters that are all super unique it's all very cthulhu inspired it's dark it's dreary it's depressing <laughs> um, and you're just working your way through to try to figure out what was causing all these issues and to try to resolve it by the end of the game which kind of learned a little bit more just like in a dark souls game you have to read the item descriptions and everything like that to see exactly what's truly happening but that's essentially the game itself is you're just going area to area defeating monsters and bosses in that same vein you're collecting the blood echoes to level your character up and just trying to learn exactly what's happening and you know what makes it the most fun is obviously facing those bosses just like in the dark souls series as well and on top of that once you get a little bit later into the game you're introduced to chalice dungeons and for the most part, most of them are just procedurally generated dungeons where you're facing monsters, a few bosses, usually a final boss <laughs> to try to escape the dungeon itself and reap your rewards. But essentially, the game we're discussing, Bloodborne the card game, is just a chalice dungeon at heart. Um, so you're really just, you choose the monsters, the final boss, so you can do it all randomly, and you'll face them as you progress further into the dungeon with the final boss at the end where you can escape and tally up your points. So just for full transparency, um, I know Tyler, for me personally, I'm, I'm the only one that's like played through it all the way through and uh, beaten the game and everything like that. But you haven't played it yourself. Is that correct? No, I've not played Bloodborne. And I'll be honest, when I came to playing the game, I was a little naive to some of the terms. Uh, Bloodborne has a pretty clear concept and I think it's very dark and dreary, lends itself much to that horror theme but uh ultimately i have never played dark souls and never played bloodborne i was kind of newbie to that so i got a fresh perspective okay cool 
So in that case, I'll just briefly go into uh, how the game plays, uh, like what you have to do to set up, and then we'll kind of go into our opinions from there. Uh, so with the base game, it is just a hand-building card game overall. It's just it's very simple. And the main draw of the game is as you are building your deck, you're going to be facing multiple monsters, bosses, and then the big draw is going to be a final boss who's more powerful than anything you face along the way. Um, essentially what will happen is every turn a monster will be drawn. If it's a base monster, everybody has to try to kill it that turn, otherwise it escapes. And when you do damage to it, um, it'll also have a chance to do damage back to everyone. Hunters who fought or didn't fight uh, can be hurt by that monster. And you know what will happen is after you beat it, you'll be rewarded trophies which are just a, I wouldn't say currency, but a point system in the game that'll matter at the very end just for point uh, totalizations. And then also you'll be earning Blood Echoes, which is a main part of just the uh, Bloodborne game itself on PlayStation and even just Dark Souls in general. It's just a form of currency you use to level yourself up. In that same way that Dark Souls and Bloodborne work, if you die in this game as your hunter, um, you do come back but you will lose all the blood echoes that you had earned if you had not banked them. So essentially what will happen is you're, while you're playing, you're gonna be earning new cards, basically new weapons, could be healing potions, could be just items in general that could hurt other hunters as well, but you'll be using those to, to build your deck. And one of those cards you're gonna have is the Hunter Stream. It's a base card that you get at the very beginning. And essentially what you do with that is you are going back to the Hunter's Dream, which you would do just like in Bloodborne on PlayStation, to bank in your Blood Echoes or use them uh, for experience. In this game, at least, they're just a base currency. So the more you have at the end of the game, the more likely you are to win because they're just flat points. But yeah, that's, that's essentially the game overall, is you're just trying to go through what would be a typical chalice dungeon of random monsters, random bosses, and usually a very hard final boss. And once everybody defeats the final boss, then everybody tallies up their points with both the trophies and blood echoes, and whoever had the most points wins. Uh, so with that being said, going into this, Tyler, I know you hadn't really played the Bloodborne series, series the Bloodborne game, uh, or the Dark Souls series. What were your thoughts on how this game played overall? Yeah, so when I first started playing the game, I had no interest uh, to be perfectly honest in the bloodborne kind of concept i saw the influence outright and i thought it was very cool it's uh got a very dreariness lovecraftian-esque inspiration and i thought that was very interesting ultimately when i looked at the game it just had this kind of deck building concept so i didn't really know how to interpret that i got the idea that just like in any typical monster hunter or dungeon-esque type game that you're sifting through these little smaller enemies in order to fight the big boss at the end after having equipped yourself with all the best gear it had a somewhat D&D-esque type of mechanic with that in mind but I like this idea that you're building up your hunter. Each hunter has a unique ability. It felt like you were adventuring into the Bloodborne world. And I can definitely see why it would be a good representation of the game into a, a board game itself. Yeah, those are, I mean, definitely valid points. One thing I'll bring up is like specifically the hunter ability, you know, when we're reviewing this and discussing it, you know, in general, we're doing both the base game and the expansion. So I just want to briefly touch on what the difference is. Uh, the base game has all your core elements, the bosses, the monsters, the 
items that you would get in the deck to get your character stronger to face these bosses. The expansion itself really only adds three major different things. It adds a lot more boss monsters and final boss monsters and a few more items, which is definitely, I feel, needed because the base game only had like maybe three to five final bosses. So it would have gotten old real quick. <laughs> It also adds runes, which uh, if you played Bloodborne, you know these are runes that you can attach to your character itself for small little bonuses. Um, and this expansion adds that so every hunter will have their own little bonus when they're playing through this game. But that, that that's essentially um, some of the major things it's adding. One last thing I'll, I'll mention is that it does have a trophy <laughs> countdown option that they decided to add, essentially, where when you do die in this game, there's a little more weight behind it because it can prevent you from earning future trophies down the line as you play the game more. It's essentially lowering the cap that you can reach on your trophies. So that's just essentially the main major differences between just the base game and the expansion. But yeah, essentially you're, you are just going through this game, uh, trying to defeat these monsters and you're trying to build your deck by not only resting to bank your blood echoes, but that's actually when you get to purchase, so to speak, new items that you can add to your repertoire. Um, and these items usually are a lot better than what you start out with. And with that expansion and them adding new items, there's a, there's a plethora of variety there. Um, which was definitely enjoyable, but that's just kind of like what the major difference is there. But the next thing I want to touch a little more specifically on is the runes. Um, you know, as mentioned, there are small little bonuses that you can give to your hunters just to help you throughout the, the game itself. <laughs> These runes I found when we were playing, some of them tended to be a little more consistent or a little better than others. An example I have here is the Beast Rune, which it states if you are using a melee weapon, it deals plus two damage to monsters, but you take plus one damage from monsters. Little little risk, a little reward there, but that's just a flat bonus that's going to follow you through the rest of the game. One rune that I had when we were playing was the Eye Rune, and this one states that after the Hunter's Dream step, if another hunter died this round and you didn't, claim one trophy of your lowest type if tied choose. This is more of a situational uh, rune, and even if it were to proc fairly regularly, I still feel like it's not that great because you earn trophies, I would say, fairly regularly just by defeating regular monsters, bosses, and the final boss will obviously give you a lot of trophies. And this by itself just didn't feel like it was ever really going to help me get that up. I So that's where I just feel like there was a kind of a downside to some of these runes. Some were like the beast, where it's just a flat, consistent bonus. And another one like the eye, it was just a situational item. So I, I found like the beast item, the beast rune would just be so much more useful. <laughs> just regularly, it's more consistent, something you can rely on. I, I don't know, did you have that experience with your rune, Tyler? Or going into this, you know, we can touch on death as well. Did you feel like death was that much of a downside to actually happening to your hunter? So while I don't know too much about Bloodborne, I can clearly see the Dark Souls inspiration where the idea, right, is you're going to die a lot of times. Uh, you want to keep fighting until you master the ability mechanics of the game and have beaten all the enemies. But I feel like the notorious element of these type of games is that you're going to die a lot. And I feel like the creator of the game definitely wanted that in tune with the game. A lot of these enemies hit really hard and you're not going to be able to always beat them. 
and you're going to take a lot of risk and sometimes if you're going to do that i will say outright the big thing that this game reminded me of was munchkin this idea that you're flipping a deck and there's going to be another monster just like munchkin everyone has a class and a unique ability just like munchkin this game definitely pulls a little more risk management into this. Munchkin had the flaw in that you could always hurt your teammates or you could just help them to get to the win, which always had this weird element of, well, why wouldn't I just help other people? There's always someone willing to help you, at least in our friend group. In Bloodborne, constantly, you want to fight these enemies. You want to be the one to get the hits. You want to kill that enemy and you want to use those items to do so. So here, there isn't really this like, let's help out each other. It's kind of like a every man out for himself. You have to manage what other cards people have played. And you kind of want to try that little bit to try and kill that enemy and maybe take the rest dying to do it, knowing that you'll get the points. And dying in this game lost some of your temporary points that you could have banked but the reward is really high it's a high risk high reward type of strategy any big risk management is very key in this and so i definitely can see the death is inherent part of this game no i would i would definitely agree with that you know one thing i want to touch on is you know the the helping each other versus hurting each other kind of mentality you know in this game most of the creatures that you're going to be facing are just base monsters and as we're kind of discussing earlier, they when they spawn, you know, you get the chance to attack them and try to kill them. And then they obviously get to retaliate with their own attack. But those base monsters just get to run away. So there's almost no point in trying to, you know, intentionally let them leave. Because as long as you help participate in doing damage, you're going to be rewarded with some type of trophy and also those blood echoes. So it, it it doesn't feel like something where you intentionally would just want to stay out of the fray. I mean, you obviously want to every so often just to bank your blood echoes by playing that Hunter's Dream card, but that's almost a card that you're forced to play every so often to get your cards back and bank those blood echoes. But when you're in it, you it just felt like you want to be fighting with everybody alongside them, you know, despite who's in the lead or who's not, because that's the only way you're going to be getting points. <laughs> so I, I like that element a lot where you're kind of forced to help each other out, even though you may not like it. <laughs> uh, one follow-up question I have for you is in terms of when you bring up Munchkins, comparing it to the game, I I've seen Munchkins lead people to fights. <laughs> do you feel this game is on that same level, or do you think it's like at a, a much lower threshold in terms of causing people to start an argument? I think because there's a variety of items in this game that let you still have an influence, even though you may not have gotten that last hit on the monster. <laughs> I, I feel like there's still some fairness there. There's quite a little bit of noticeable imbalancing between these hunters like you previously mentioned and some of these items don't really fit your strategy at all yet you only have so many to pick at a time but there's some items that allow you to still have an influence and have made an impact into an engagement despite the fact that you may not have gotten a fight so i think there's always a way to kind of tweak your strategy to your bidding but there's definitely going to be times that I could tell in this game where it's you could bluff. The idea that mm -hmm. you may not 
want someone to kill that monster so you at that point will take the opportunity not to participate into that fight but tell someone that you would have and i could see this slight social deduction element going into this where that would definitely upset people because not everyone everyone technically is out for themselves and so that is i feel like that's going to happen for some groups I, I i can definitely see that i feel like that honestly happened a little bit when we played it <laughs> um because one thing i i want to mention about these bosses monsters that you're going to be facing is as an example let's say they have five health and there's two people in front of you and they do five damage you do not get to attack the monster it is going to die you don't get any points for doing that so i I do feel in our games, people would say, hey, you know what? I do plan to go back to the Hunter's Dream to bank my Blood Echoes and basically pass my turn. And they would then play an attack card, get the damage off, and then you're screwed. You just spent your whole turn playing an item that you don't get to use at all and kind of got fucked over, so to speak, by your your uh, your fellow Hunter. I, I don't think that's going to happen all that often, but it is something that I, I would agree with you. You could totally bluff to somebody to say that you plan to go to the hunter's dream to pass your turn and actually do damage and then you force them to play a card that they were going to they could have used later uh, so i can definitely see that <laughs> one other thing i kind of wanted to to mention along those lines is uh the items that they added in the expansion as well they did add items where you can hurt other hunters one i'm thinking of is i think you had this tyler it was basically a ranged weapon it was a gun and when you use that weapon, even though it can damage the monster, it also damages the hunters who are specifically in the hunter's dream. So those who are passing their turn, I thought that was a cool element because it really didn't do that much damage to them. I mean, in, in your opinion, did you like the addition of those kind of items where you can hurt other hunters intentionally, even those who basically decided to pass their turn? I feel like the game, these type of games where you're kind of facing a PVE type element where you're facing an, a monster, there's some cooperative elements, yet it's still competitive. You need those type of cards and mechanics in the game to kind of slow down other people, to kind of find your opportunity and to get a lead because you can't directly... You could lie and say that you're going to play a certain card or take a certain action and not... But still, if someone starts getting ahead, there's not really a way for you to deter them except hurting them. So I feel like it, it makes sense that they would insert these type of things in this game because you're not directly facing another player, you're facing the monster. So how do you get an edge up on that other player? Mm -hmm. Well, you insert these type of cards where you can deter their victory by, and one way to do that is death. And mm -hmm. there's other ways other cards that allow you to steal a certain amount of blood uh, echoes and mm -hmm. i i think that makes sense to have these type of cards in the game even though they're not really well thought out it's just take and damage other people and it's kind of rude because you guys are cooperative yet you know fighting a monster but it's only natural i would also touch on that point if somebody starts to get ahead in this game at least when we played it it didn't feel like there was a super easy way or a clear strategy in regards to trying to slow them down. It's basically you banking on hoping getting these cards, the ones that can either damage them specifically or the ones that allow you to maybe take blood echoes from them. But that's just relying on cards because essentially you're right. You're all working together to try to defeat these monsters and bosses. But if that's the main game 
mechanic? Where's the opportunity to slow down the people who are maybe doing a lot better versus others? I mean, with that, I, I do want to lead into some of the final bosses because that's like the main draw to the game is after you beat these various monsters, these mini bosses, you then get to the final boss, which is usually has a significant amount of health. They give you one of each trophy and they have their own game changing ability that's going to last for like the whole game. The one we specifically went against was Murgo's Wet Nurse. And as an example, her ability was at the beginning of each round, each hunter gains one health up to their maximum health. Now, in comparison, there's another boss monster I wanted to bring up called uh, Mikalash, host of the Nightmare. And his ability is whenever a monster escapes, add one random non-boss monster from the box to the top of the Chalice Dungeon deck. Essentially, me meaning it's going to take longer to get to that final boss and finish the game. <laughs> when we played with the Murgo's Wet Nurse, even though that bonus seems nice, people were really not dying, which feels like the main draw to this game because that's what happens all the time in Dark Souls and Bloodborne is you're always doing a little bit of that risk reward of should I push a little bit further to try to find the basically the next checkpoint and bank those blood echoes or should I just back out now because if you push further and die well there go your blood echoes for the most part so <laughs> I, I feel like maybe if we had played with the Mikalash, where he makes it significantly harder to try to get to the final boss, it might have had or led to further experiences where people were dying a little more regularly. Uh, but with the Wet Nurse, it, it truly felt like nobody was dying <laughs> just because of that nice little health bonus. I don't know. Did you feel the same way about that? Or, you know, what was your opinion on that final boss? It definitely allowed people to stay in longer than they needed to, but... I feel like that type of boss was meant to keep you healthy and that way you would choose more opportunities to screw over your other fellow competitors by choosing these type of items not to better your own game and defeat the monsters but rather encouraged you to choose these type of more competitive type weapons or items that would hurt other people since you're mm -hmm. going to be ideally alive longer than others i i just like because the, the whole the whole thing with bloodborne or dark souls is people like to flaunt how difficult they are and how much skill it takes i i was going into this and again i think it's mainly just because we played with Mirko's wet nurse but i was going into this expecting that we were going to it was going to be a fight to the death almost but you were going to be dying regularly trying to come back because of how difficult it would be i mean just as another example, there's a, a final boss called Rom, the Vicious Spider. And his ability is the second time each hunter is killed. So if you only die twice, you are immediately removed from the game permanently. And I mean, there it just seems like there's a lot of varying difficulty for the bosses, which is cool. I feel like of a starter, you could definitely pick Murgo's Wet Nurse just to learn the game. You're not going to be dying all that often. And then if you want, you would then have the ability to play another game with a different final boss with who's going to have a dip, more difficult ability that's going to last for the rest of the game. So I, I just uh, was going into expecting one thing. But again, I think that just comes down to the final boss that we had picked, which was the Murgo's Wet Nurse. But I, I can definitely see where you're coming from. Because, of, because you're going to be li alive longer, you're going to be wanting to basically hold on to as many blood echoes as you can without trying to go to the hunter's dream regularly because you know well death isn't quite as inevitable as you may be expecting but yeah essentially 
I know I touched on a little bit earlier, but like the main differences between like the base game and the expansion, like if you die in the base game, as an example, you're going to lose any blood echoes that aren't banked, but you're going to heal and you're going to come back the next turn. That was really the only downside. So I am really glad that in the expansion, they added those tokens that it can affect trophies and essentially lower the cap. The more often you die, like you can only earn up to three of this specific trophy or only up to five. And it makes it a little more difficult with that because then that means you could overall have the less potential to make points by the end of the game. But I do like that it, it added an extra meaning to death besides just losing any blood echoes because even though that may sting, that didn't feel like that would have been all that bad. This I do like the addition of the... Uh, the trophy capping with the expansion. It just, it, it made a little more meaningful. So I, I do appreciate that. But I, I mean, in that regard, did you did you have any thoughts about these trophies and how they were a part of the game? Or do you feel really Blood Echo should be your main focus versus maybe going for the trophies directly? I think there is always a good idea to insert multiple different victory paths and that each player has to, they can build a strategy towards focusing on these type of trophies. There's opportunities where you know that, oh, I'm kind of really high on these type of trophies, or I'm even maxed out on this trophy, so I don't even need to fight this type of boss. I can kind of take it slow or choose this opportunity to pass the round into the hunter's dream. So there's some a balance there because the game altogether is a form of risk management. Even this is a form of balancing where you're at quantifiably when it comes to your trophies and your blood echoes. It's always a good idea to still participate, but that's a good idea to not have to if you have already maxed out on that type of trophy. No, I agree. I'm, I'm glad when a game adds a few different paths to try to earn points because if somebody's just dominating one field, they're probably going to continue to dominate. Like if somebody was just constantly getting blood echoes because of some great item they had, it would be nice to have that other route. And that's where I do think these trophies can come into play because, you know, as an example, they do grow exponentially. It goes one, two, three, five, eight. So I would almost say they have the potential to earn you a lot more points versus blood echoes, but it's just, it kind of comes down to blood echoes are a little more consistent in terms of the, the point value that you would be getting by the end of the game versus the trophies, which are a little more risky because if you die, they can also be lowered the cap can be lowered so you could have had that max but now it's been pushed down to five versus eight again i i do like that it has that risk <laughs> versus reward and it has the do you want to go for a, the more consistent route of just earning blood echoes or do you also want to try to maybe focus on trophies maybe picking one or two of them to try to get them to that max value i just I, I did like that that was an option uh, another thing i want to bring up is just about the difficulty of the game itself right now with the since it is three to five players uh, the way they ramp it up if there's more players because it obviously would have been easier for them to kill these monsters is the more players there are the more health these monsters and bosses are going to have tacked on just to kind of make up for that I do think that was a good balance they had with it didn't feel like there was a time where we were just decimating a monster until later on when we actually had some better items because there were also monsters that actually were able to escape um, so i do like that mechanic and i it was just a, a simple idea so I, th I thought that was smart just to add extra help to the bosses but yeah well the monsters were able to escape because our friends sometimes were selfish and didn't want to participate <laughs> in the fight so we'll just won't we'll be honest there that's fair <laughs> because yeah essentially they they totally that's where it did come up where i swear one of our our friends 
bluffed and said they were going to help us kill this monster and played the hunter's dream essentially passing their turn and well we couldn't do enough damage the monster god hurt us and we didn't get shit from it <laughs> so you could definitely be screwed over by either just not doing enough damage or your friends you know maybe misleading you about what they're actually going to play so <laughs> a little bit of that uh, social deduction there whether you can trust your friends or not or read exactly what what they're thinking but yeah with that being said i you know since we've kind of been discussing the game here, I, d I do want to go into a little bit of our, our final thoughts, if that's cool. So we'll be right back with those thoughts. La, la, la. So welcome back. Okay, so with these final thoughts, I'll go ahead and start. Bloodborne, I'll be honest, is one of my favorite games on PlayStation, one of my favorite games of all time. So I feel like I am a little biased going into this but ultimately i thought they had a great balance of trying to defeat these monsters but forcing everybody to work together but at least allowing the option to potentially slow other players down by you know doing damage to them or killing them or even just doing that social deduction aspect of saying you're going to play one thing and play another thing i thought there was a good balance there and it was a lot of fun trying to earn these blood echoes and having that choice of well do i want to stay another round to try to e earn even more blood echoes and then bank everything or do i just want to play it safe and bank everything now and i had a lot of fun with that and it does match the aesthetic exactly um i would almost say they're they're, they're screenshots almost directly from the game itself of just the, the lovecraftian dark dreary depressingness of these these monsters that you're going to be facing and how horrid and disgusting they can be <laughs> so i i thought they did a great job of trying to create a card game based on the bloodborne game itself and to me i i thought it was successful for both the base game and the expansion i would say might as well just buy the expansion because it adds a lot more cards for a variety of bosses final bosses and items and it also allows that um that added benefit of <laughs> more meaning to death in general when you're dying in the game. So ultimately for me, I would give both the, the base game and the expansion basically combined together a score of eight and a half out of 10 would be my final score. And for you, Tyler, did you, what were your final thoughts and how did you feel like as someone who didn't play the Bloodborne series or even the Dark Souls series coming into this, what were your final thoughts on that? Yeah, so I feel like it met my expectations I liked the uh, balance between a hand management and a push-your-luck mechanic in fighting these monsters. It has a cooperative and competitive element to it, yet it never strays too far into either of these that make it uninteresting. Sometimes cooperative games cannot be everyone's cup of tea, and competitive games sometimes can get a little too bloodthirsty. So I like that they blended these in a fun, unique way. The idea that you need to build better hand and fit your own strategy makes it unique for each playthrough and has a lot of variability there the monsters and these bosses have a lot of variety as well that allow you to play it new every time and have a new experience you're even going to get new experiences with the people that you play against with the idea that you don't always know who to trust and who's looking out for you and who's going to actually help you fight this monster. So that's even a more minute yet understated element of the game. Uh, so I thought it was fun. I feel like not having played Bloodborne, it didn't get lost on me. 
it's a simple game to pick up and teach and it really doesn't have too much of a high skill cap yet has a fun variance every time you play because of the different unique cards and monsters so in the end i feel like it is still one i could teach and play with someone who hasn't played bloodborne as well and they would like it and for what it's trying to do i think it's positive and so i'll give it a seven out of ten perfect and i would definitely agree with that that just the ease of learning the game it's not really a difficult game so this was monster seeking maple we do want to thank you for listening to the podcast and we'll catch you next week yeah thank you so much again for listening